just a little bit of review for the last from the last couple of weeks to to get us to the place of where we're at this week. And, and just bear with me if I feel, if it sounds like I'm kind of a little bit all over the place, I probably am trying to take a whole lot and jam it into one thing because I'm not going to be here for a month and I really feel strongly about all the scriptures that we're going we're gonna to speak to today. So two weeks ago, we kind of laid some work with absolutes and decisions, that there are certain things that are just absolute. They're just true. They are how they are. You can wish they were different. We could all wish they were different, but the reality is they're not. The scripture that I'll use to, to draw back from two weeks ago is Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow from the flesh. If we sow from the flesh, we will reap corruption. From the Spirit, we reap life. And, and we have to choose. We have to choose the flesh or the spirit. Would you put the chart thing up for me, please? Some of you haven't been here the last couple of weeks. You haven't seen this. And you know what? I, I, maybe what I'll do is I'll put it on the Internet. If you want to go get it, you can pull it down and save it. It'll be just a PDF file. But basically, there's this battle that's going on. And the battle is for the fruit, the output of our souls, what comes out of us. And it's between uh, good... God on the right, and evil, the devil, on the left. The, the point of access for the devil is our flesh. And the point of access for God to try to influence the fruit of our soul to his outcome would be our spirit if we're born again because we're connected in spirit to God. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And then on the bottom, it's, it's a depiction of the same thing, but the, the mechanism that's used to influence us so that the fruit of our soul will either be good on God's behalf or if, if Satan should influence us or the enemy influence us, it would be evil on his. And the, and the mechanism that the enemy uses are lies and deception. That's the only tool he's got with us. He has no authority over us that we don't give to him. So he has to operate in lies and deception to bring us into agreement with him so then the fruit of our souls will be evil. Right? You can see that in um, Galatians, Galatians 5. The fruit of our soul, if we come into agreement through lies and deception with the enemy, is immorality, impurity, sensuality, sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, that's the good ones, right? Oh, no, up on top. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So, now, if you go back to the chart, if we come into agreement with God, the Holy Spirit influencing us through our spirit by speaking truth to us, then the fruit of our lives will be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace. I could probably do these without looking. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, of which there is no law against those. So that's what we've been talking about, is we have to choose. We're much more able to choose God if we're conscious and aware of his word, if we have relationship with his spirit. Because lies and deception are deceiving. 
The devil doesn't lie to us in such a way like, hey, listen, I just want, you know, I want to be upfront with you about this. I'm the devil. My, object, my object for you is to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm going to start to plant these poisonous thoughts in your mind. If you would just embrace them, you'd really help me in my, in my uh, objective to destroy your life. He w- we would never agree with that. I mean, as dumb as I could be, he couldn't get me with that. So he has to be deceptive. He has to come disguised as an angel of light and bring us things that kind of make sense. That's where James talks about the two kinds of wisdom, earthly demonic wisdom and heavenly wisdom. They both have different fruits. We have to be so well-versed in the Bible and intimate in our relationship with Holy Spirit that we can discern the deception from the truth so that we can come into agreement with God and then the fruit of our lives are all these good things that make us truly a city on a hill that would draw the world unto Christ. Absolutes and decisions. I I love this scripture. I haven't used it in in the previous two weeks, but I want to read it to you today. It's Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Now, this is Moses, just prior to Moses going up on the mountain and, and dying. He's speaking to Israel on behalf of God. And it's a different covenant, but it's the same exact truth in the covenant we have versus the covenant that existed at that time with Israel. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. They're both there. Life and prosperity, death and adversity. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you do not, and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live. You and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. I set before you life and death. Blessing and curse, choose life. It's no different today. He's given us, remember the, the three things that we have. One, we have a map. One, we have a compass. And the third, we have a rudder. The map is the word of God. It's absolutely perfect to guide us unto righteousness and unto everything that God would desire for our lives. We have a compass. That's the Holy Spirit. The compass will always point us to a place in the map. If the compass is ever pointing us to some place that's, that's contrary to the map, you're not listening to the compass of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to a deceiving spirit that would masquerade as a spirit of light, or you're listening to your own flesh. The compass will always point to the map and show us where to go. We're in a situation, and we're, we, we could be angry, and we could respond this way, or, or we could be humble, and we could respond that way. The compass is pointing us towards humility, because that's what the Word of God says. I like to think of it like gravity. Think, like here I stand on this, you know, this raised up platform. There's no doubt in my mind, if I step forward, I'm going to go down. I don't wonder if I might float. I know that gravity is an absolute. Something would have to counteract gravity for me to not 
fall down to that level if I take a step off the platform. It's just how it is. Gravity is absolute. So are the principles that God gives us in the Bible. Life and death, um, prosperity and adversity. By choosing whether or not we're going to walk. The, the scripture says, if we live by the Spirit, if you're born again, if you live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit, then we get the benefit of life that God gives us, just like gravity. And if we don't, we get the problems of life. Now, we're going to have problems, right? The Bible teaches us that. This isn't an issue of will life be perfect and there won't be any stormy seas or not because the stormy seas are coming. The, the, the promise is that you'll get through these things, that God will use them for our benefit, for our good, because we love him and we're called according to his purpose. If we agree with the truth, then we are very useful to God, just like the Second Peter scripture said. Then last week, we talked about our minds. Our minds, our souls, our minds, it, it's the, the spoil, the, the treasure of the battle. Really, the fruit is what, what the treasure is. Ultimately, you know, God is hoping to gain our souls because he loves us, and Satan is hoping to keep our souls away from God because he hates us and he hates God. But the spoil of the battle is our minds. The one that controls our minds, either through truth, being the Lord, or through lies and deception being the enemy, is going to control the fruit of our lives. And, and that's the battleground to get into our minds. And, and then last week we also talked about that we always have choice. Remember, the devil didn't make us do it. We chose to do it. Now, we might have been deceived, and we might not have always made a conscious decision to do wrong. But we own the decision because we have choice. We're not slaves to sin anymore, just like we're not slaves to fear We're slaves unto righteousness, and we should choose righteousness. So, ultimately, then, we have to learn how to manage our thoughts. Because our head is full of all kinds of thoughts, and they can come at least from three places. Two I'm sure of, one I'm not positive about. First one is it can come from God, right? God can plant thoughts in our minds. The enemy can plant thoughts in our minds. And I demonstrated in a couple of different scriptures where we saw that. Get behind me, Satan. And, and Lord, shouldn't we just bring fire down on them? You don't know what spirit you're of. Flaming arrows in Ephesians 6 are thoughts that are planted into our minds by the enemy. The third place that I think I can have a thought, but I'm not positive, is actually I could generate a thought of my own. But if I generate a thought of my own, it has to decide what it's going to agree with because there's no gray area in life. There's either good or there's bad. So maybe I have some original thoughts. I don't know. But I know that I have thoughts that come from heaven, and I know I have thoughts that come from the enemy, and I have to discern and manage which thoughts I'm going to allow to stay in my mind. When we grasp on the thoughts and allow them to be meditated on in our mind, what we do is we build fortresses. There are good fortresses. If your worldview is a biblical worldview, you have fortresses in your mind that you see life and you see the world through the biblical perspective. But you can also have fortresses that are built in falsehood. And that's what 2 Corinthians 10 is talking about. That the the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the pulling down of fortresses. So that we can, through truth, take these fortresses. And as truth exposes the lies in them, they come crashing down. And we don't have to have a worldview that's influenced by falsehood. That's a lot for the last two weeks, and that's just the summary. But that's, that's the gist of what gets us to today. And today, the conversation is about the process, the actual process of, I don't know, kingdom life, of winning the battle, of keeping ourselves 
in a place of the peace that we prayed for because we're only going to hold on to that which is true. So let me start in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. He did this again in, I think, the last chapter of 1 Timothy, but this one had the word shipwreck in it, and I like it because we had the picture of the big boat as part of our illustrations. This, I, or this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So this is the first point I want to reinforce and to make today is that it is a real fight. Paul is telling Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. The fight is in faith. The testing is in faith, right? James says, consider all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It's your faith that's being tested. What's your faith? It's what you believe. What is it that you believe? But Lord, we had this in the, you know, I use you as an example. My son had a thing in his head. Lord, how can that, you know, where are you? It's like, hey, what's your faith? My faith is I trust God. Tumor, no tumor, or it wasn't a tumor, cyst, or whatever that thing is, you have to make a choice. Who do you trust? What's your truth? That's what he's telling Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold on. If you look at the other one, the other time he says this to Timothy in First Timothy, he says to, to um, fight the good fight, And hold on to your salvation. Endure unto your salvation. It's a big deal. So the point is, it is a fight. And and at the beginning, it's a harder fight than it is later on. But it's always a fight. Because there's always flaming arrows being shot your way. And you always have to catch them and decide what to do with them. Until the Lord brings you home. And then it's just in the... I just think of it like, a, like being at Niagara Falls and his glory is just coming over the cliff all the time. And, and our just perfect body needs to be perfect because we're seeing the revelation of God's glory that we've never seen before for all of eternity. We don't have flaming arrows in heaven, but now we do. And we have to understand it's a fight, and we have to understand it's a continual fight to keep ourselves holy and pure before the Lord. Okay. Everything, everything boils down to truth. John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who, believe, who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Over and over and over again, I want to stress, the presence of truth does not make anybody free. It's the knowledge of truth, the acknowledging of truth, and then the actual acting on of truth that will make us free. So if my wife and I are having a thing... The truth says that I should humble myself. The truth says that I should consider her more highly than myself. If I don't know the truth, I'm going to act out of my flesh, and the problems are going to get worse. If I know the truth, but my flesh is is driving me, and I don't humble myself before the Lord and my wife, then the fact that even that I know the truth doesn't bring life to us. No freedom. Why? Because even though I knew it, I didn't acknowledge it. I didn't act on the truth. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that there's two guys They both heard these words of his, all this amazing, life-giving teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. One of them's life comes to ruin. One of them's life is okay. What's the difference? They both heard, but only one of them acted on these words of his. It's the doing. Everything boils down to truth. If you look at um, the armor of God, its essence of every element of the armor of God is truth. The shield of faith is faith. The shield of faith isn't something you think about and I pick up my shield of faith and then you go through your day and wonder how come all the flaming arrows of the enemy are messing with you 
Because it's not a shield that you pick up. It is faith. And when the flaming arrow comes, faith has to capture that flaming arrow and decide what you're going to believe. Faith says, no, that disagrees. Oh, I'm a loser, I whatever. No, faith says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I was knit together by the very hands of God in my mother's womb. Down with you, flaming arrow. It's truth. What does the Bible say about you? What is God saying in this situation? The shield protects us because it's faith. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness, what is it? Is it, is it iron? Is it graphite? What is it? It's righteousness. The breastplate protects us when we walk in righteousness. What is righteousness? It's the literal walking out of the truth. Never return evil for evil. When I am being, having evil poured out on me and I return a blessing and not a curse, what am I doing? I'm walking out righteousness. And what's happening? It's guarding me like a breastplate would guard me. It's not some kind of weird, conceptual, it's righteousness. The belt of truth is, it's truth. You gird yourself with truth. When you come into battle, man, you're girded with truth. Truth is what you got to have. Truth is what guides us. It's wisdom. It's everything that God has for us is truth. That one just has the name truth. Um, uh, the last one, the sword of the Spirit. Well, there's more implements. There's the helmet and there's the shoes. But the sword of the Spirit is literally the word of God, the scriptures. That's our, that's our forward-moving weapon. It's the only weapon that he talks about. Everything else is defensive to protect us. But the word of God is also a weapon. When we come under attack, we fight back with what? What I think, what I hope, what might be true. Oh, no, the word of God. We stand up. What did God say? That's the truth. Whack you with the word of truth. I mean, his tongue's a sword, right? He's the very word of God in the flesh. Everything boils down to truth. Man, if you get nothing out of all of this, if all you ever did, which is really all I'm teaching, is, is get yourself to a place where you can discern truth from lies, you got it licked. Next point. I'll read this to you. The magnitude of our victory will be in direct correlation to the depth of our relationship with both, with both Holy Spirit and the Scriptures and our willingness to obey their instruction. The magnitude of our victory will be in direct correlation to the depth of our relationship with both Holy Spirit and Scripture and our willingness to obey their instruction. If we know the Scriptures a little bit, the magnitude of our ability to be victorious will be small because we're easily deceived. If we have tiny, tiny investment in relationship with Holy Spirit, the magnitude of our victory will be small because we won't have discerned how to hear the true voice of God as he's trying to point us towards the map of where to go in every situation in our lives. It's so important that we know the word of God and that we have intimacy with the Holy Spirit so that everything that God's made available to us can work on our behalf and on his behalf through us. Hebrews 4.12. Oh, wait a minute. If they seem in conflict, Right? The Holy Spirit is telling me A, but the Word of God says B. Which one do you default to? Always the Word of God. Always the Word of God. Because if the Holy Spirit is telling you A, and the Word of God is telling you B, that ain't the Holy Spirit telling you. That's the angel masquerading as an angel of light, or the, the demon masquerading as an angel of light. He's given us the truth in his Word. We have to, by faith, believe it. When, when the truth of what we're hearing is inconsistent with the truth of what's in the word, 
We agree with the word. Now, whenever there's a conflict like that, and, and sometimes you can read the word if you want to and get it to agree with, you know, when you have a conflict, you always, always, always should seek wise counsel. Because it's not unheard of to be deceived in our interpretation of the word. So he's given us a body. He's given us each other, each and every one of us, with different gifts and different revelations that we can then say, hey, you know what? This Something doesn't feel right to me. Because when you're hearing this voice that you think might be the Holy Spirit, the real Holy Spirit is pushing you away from that thing, and there's going to be an uneasiness. But if you can't find that truth in the Word, then we get together and we have wise counsel, and we pray together and we search out the Word so that we can get to what? Truth. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I don't know if you've seen this story. Um, it's been circulating recently. I've seen it, you know, from I think Charisma Magazine or somewhere. There's this megachurch pastor, I, I think Nashville, but somewhere in Tennessee who... Um, claims to have prayed for three years and, and has gotten revelation from God that they're to change their church and its interaction with homosexuals. So that someone who is um, homosexual could have been a member of their church in the past, but couldn't have been uh, a board member. They couldn't have been a ministry leader um, they wouldn't ordain uh, gay marriage in their church. But now, after three years of sincere... And let me just tell you, my guess is he's a good guy, this pastor. And my guess is he honestly believes what he's doing. He's just wrong. He's deceived. So now, in their church... And listen, you know, you could pick homosexual. You could pick liar. You could pick thief. You could pick adulterer. You could pick fornicator. You could pick any kind of sin thing you want. The issue isn't homosexual or not homosexual. The issue is confessing Jesus as Lord and, and seeking repentance from anything that would be outside of his will in your life. The thing that's the big hot button now is homosexual. Okay, homosexual. What's happened with this guy is that he has ignored the counsel of the Scripture to the counsel of what he believes is God through his Holy Spirit, but God through his Holy Spirit is contrary to all of the orthodox uh, belief in the scriptures over 2,000 plus years. He's in error. Is he an evil, bad person? I bet you he's not at all. I bet he's a guy who truly loves Jesus and he's trying to do the right thing and he's so influenced by the culture. And if you meet, uh, uh, when I worked at HP, I, you know, half the company in Palo Alto was homosexual. It's, you know, it's very accepted behavior out there. I had people I worked with were wonderful people, very, you know, by my standards, not, not by God's standards. None of us. Our best day is his filthy rags before his perfect righteousness. But you can get influenced like, man, I mean, it just feels like they really do love each other. They, they do. It's just wrong because God says so. And what's happened to this poor guy is that he has decided because there's a conflict between what the word says and what he feels like he's hearing from God, he's denied the word or found ways to rationalize the word, and he's embracing falsehood. That's all. We need to pray for him, that, that, that he'll, the truth will be manifest. And again, when I first, I've read that article twice, and the first time I read it, it was worded in such a way that I thought, you know what, maybe what he's saying is that he's not 
treating homosexuality as some like, you know, times 100 sin and every other sin is a times one sin. He's saying, listen, you know what? I might have guys on my board that are liars, but they're able to be on the board. Why wouldn't I have somebody who struggles with this particular sin? Why would I deny them the same privileges that other people deal with? And if his issue is that my guy that's on the board has struggled with lying, but he's crying out to God to help him to repent from lying, I say amen. And if there's somebody that struggles with homosexual tendencies, and they're crying out to the Lord to be delivered and to not act out on those tendencies, I say amen. What's the difference? Because they're seeking to be like Jesus. But if what he's saying is, it's okay to have this area of sin in your life, and you shouldn't be seeking repentance, I say no. I don't think that's what the scriptures teach at all. So our heart would be compassionate, not judgmental, and we would pray for God's will in that situation. But can you see what's happening when we tend to embrace what we feel versus what the book says? It can lead us to error. Okay. There's a lot on that one, huh? I really don't... This scripture, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So whenever we walk outside of obedience, this is the kind of the fruit thing of disagreeing with the truth. Whenever we walk in disobedience, like sinning in our anger, we open doors of opportunity for the enemy to mess with us in our lives. John 14, 30, Jesus now. I will not speak to you much, Speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. There was no opportunity for the enemy to mess with Jesus the way that he could mess with us if we go to bed with our anger, because we give an opportunity for him. We didn't deal with our anger. Jesus walked perfectly. He's the perfect example of how we ought to walk. And if we walk as he walked, fully and totally led by the Holy Spirit, the devil will have no opportunity in us in that regard. Okay, next point. And this one might be not directly in the line of what I'm teaching today, but it's, it's good scripture. Be careful what you fellowship with. In the, uh, would you put up the chart for me again? I haven't really spoken to it too much, but uh, the center is a great big eyeball, and it's this scripture. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's almost like he's speaking to that wisdom thing, the same thing that James did. It, it's, it's a light. It's a wisdom. It's a, it's a way of evaluating situations. Be careful what you expose yourself to. Because what might seem like light is really darkness. And if the light inside of you is darkness, how dark is it? How are you going to respond when you fill yourself with darkness? I I, I remember a story about Billy Graham I thought was so impressive. Billy Graham traveled all over the world doing crusades and inviting people to come into the kingdom with Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. He had a whole team of people that helped him in that ministry. When he would get someplace there would be people that would go and check him into his hotel room. Before Billy Graham would go into his hotel room, the TV was taken out, the radio was taken out, there might be magazines, because he wouldn't allow anything to defile him in any way before he went about doing what God had ordained him to do to draw these people in. He was very careful 
what he fellowshiped with so that the light inside of him would truly be light. One more quick scripture here. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You'll be like the one you hang out with. I read a story. I read so many stories. I'm a story reader. I read a story about these corporations, huge holding corporations. Uh, If you went down one leg of their business tree, you would find that they operate private prisons. Because of the cost of incarcerating people, some states are turning to privatization. They're outsourcing their prisons, so to speak. So here are these companies that will come in and they'll run the prisons, right? Now it's a business. What does business require? Inventory to make profits, right? If you're a business and your business is running prisons and nobody commits a crime, your profit picture is probably not going to look so good, right? No inventory. Can't charge the state for people that aren't in prison. So then you go back up to the very top of this holding company and you run down this other side. And guess what their business is? Gangster music. You should take what's yours. I mean, I'm not too familiar with gangster music, but, you know, I got a little in me, maybe. I don't know. But the point is, there are people, especially young people, that are listening to music that's telling them how to interact with women. And how to interact with stuff. And if you don't have stuff and somebody else has stuff, it's because they got your stuff and you need to get your stuff. Do you know what they're doing in this business? They're creating inventory for this business. It's sick. But it's not unconscious. It's not a, wow, hey, look at this. How did we end up here? No way. I bet you they started here and went over here. They said, you know what? We're doing pretty good at creating inventory. We should profit from the mess that we're creating over here and make some money on this side. Those people that are ending up over here because they're influenced in the way they think over here is because their light is darkness. They're not reading the Bible. I promise you, you don't read your Bible every day and listen to that kind of music. Because you wouldn't. It would be so distasteful to you. Bad character corrupts good character. We'd be very careful. Now, it doesn't mean that we wouldn't want to interact with the world, right? God's using us. He needs us to interact with the world. We'd be very careful what and who we fellowship with, because it will influence us. Okay, all that said, two keys to to, to victory in, in this regard, which is really the regard, right? The first one is, the key is how we live, managing our behavior. How we live affects our countenance, our joy, our peace, our relationships, our effectiveness for God, how we live. The second way is what we choose to allow our minds to receive, actually managing our thoughts. Let me give you some examples. First, how we live. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. I read that to you a minute ago. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. You could pick a million things to put in place of be angry and yet do not sin. I would tell you just don't be angry at all. Choose not to be angry because the Bible also says the anger of man does not bring forth the righteousness of God. If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, when you allow your man anger to come out, you are not going to manifest the righteousness of God. So it says be angry. I would say don't be angry. I'm not disagreeing with you, God. I just think if we have a choice, we should not choose anger. Jesus might have some righteous anger. He could manage it better than I think us. Okay, you decide on that one. The point is, don't give the devil an opportunity in the way that you behave. 
1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, be of sober, of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, how? Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Don't help him to devour you. Don't help him to devour you. Give him no opportunity to devour you. Because the more he chews away at us, the more that thing chews away at the people closest to us. And then even further from us. It's like a pebble in a, in a pond, serene waters. When that pebble drops in there, the rings start to, to emanate out and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that ring of death or the ring of life, depending on how you choose to live, can encompass a whole lot more than just your very self. All right. James 4, 6, and 8. But he, capital H, he, God, gives a greater uh, grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded is like when you operate out of both sides of that chart. A little flesh over here, a little spirit over here, a little more flesh because you made me mad, a little more spirit because I feel bad about making me mad. Back and forth, back and forth. By the way, did he make you mad? No, you chose to be mad. All right, that should be in your notes from two weeks ago. Point is, in the context of how you live, submit to God. Don't return evil for evil. That's submitting to God. That's resisting the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he, who's he? He's the devil will flee from you. I learned this. Well, I'll give you that one in the mind part. Um, the context of submitting to God is in your actions. So it would be righteousness, walking in righteousness. Uh, remember Deuteronomy chapter 30, blessing or curse, life and prosperity, or death and adversity, choose life. What he's saying is choose to behave in a way that's consistent with the way he's instructing us to behave. I had this dream. I told you about it. Actually, I told you I had the dream. I didn't tell you about the dream because the dream is so hateful that I, I've, I just don't have the courage to share it with anybody. It was a bad, bad, bad dream. And I woke up. I mean, in the middle of the night, I woke up, and I had these thoughts like I was half asleep, and I'm, I'm living in this filthy dream, like my flesh or something. And, and then in my spirit, maybe, I'm rejecting it. I'm like, God, I don't agree with any of the stuff that I'm doing in this dream. That's not me. I don't agree with it. It's the devil in my head, Lord. I'm just telling you that I don't know how this got into my sleep, but I reject it in Jesus' name. And I finally woke up. It was maybe, I don't know, two or three in the morning. And I fought from two or three in the morning all the way till two o'clock in the afternoon the next, well, if it's two in the morning, it's the same day. But like 12 hours of battling in my mind this, this horrible thoughts that wanted to be in there. And it was really hard work. I mean, I've so mastered, I don't mean to sound proud to you, but I've so mastered controlling my thoughts that this really surprised me because it used to be like this when I'd get bad thoughts and I could put them down. I could put them down so fast and I couldn't get this to go away. I had to submit to God. I had to, and I'll tell you how I do that in a minute. Submit myself to God. Submit myself to God. Resist the devil because I believe with all my heart it was him that was feeding me these thoughts. And then at 2 o'clock that afternoon, I had the last one. And I haven't had any more since. What happened? The scripture is true. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. 
He didn't have a choice. How, how come he got for 12 hours to have a choice? I don't understand so much. But I know that if I submit myself to God, I am resisting the devil, and he has no choice but to flee. It's true. The, the trick is we got to fight the fight. Paul said to Timothy, fight the fight, man. Fight the fight. Okay, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Finally. Finally, thank you. I love it when Pat says finally. This is not me saying finally. This is just the scripture. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Because us against the devil is not a good fight. God against the devil is infinitely not a good fight for the devil. I don't perceive myself to be a, a worthy adversary of Satan himself. He was created higher than me. He, he was of the order of angels, the highest order. I don't consider myself a worthy adversary for him. So I don't fight him in my own strength. I fight him in the strength of the Lord, in the truth that he gives me in his word. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore... Because of all that, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, those thoughts, faith, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Stand firm requires, or resisting the devil requires the full armor of God. All of it. If we don't embrace all of the armor of God, there will be some areas of weakness in our walk against this enemy, this battle that we have to fight. We stand in truth. We live our lives righteously. We walk prepared by the gospel of peace. We choose by faith to believe what God says is truth. We live by faith that our salvation is truly in Christ Jesus. That's the helmet. And we carry with us always the sword as our standard of truth, the word of God. If we choose to live by these truths, we give the devil no opportunity through that particular gate of behavior. Okay, the second way is we manage our thoughts. The flaming arrows of Ephesians 16, 6.16 are thoughts. The devil is presenting to our minds thoughts. Those are the flaming arrows, the fiery darts that the scriptures talk about that we extinguish with our shield of faith. 2 Corinthians 10.3-5 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We take every thought captive. Every thought captive. And we have Holy Spirit. See, that's why it's so important to have an intimate relationship with Holy Spirit because these deceptive thoughts that the enemy is trying to shoot these flaming arrows into our minds to get us to embrace evil are just that. They're deceptive. But Holy Spirit isn't fooled by any of them. 
So if Holy Spirit is in us and we're intimate with his voice, we get a prompting from the Holy Spirit that says, hey, that one was poison. You need to cast that thing down because it doesn't stand obedient to Jesus. It doesn't stand to a true knowledge of God. It's a speculation. How many times, I, I could tell you, situations. Even sometimes I'll wake up in the morning in a bad mood. Like I'm angry with somebody in the morning. How did I get angry? What did they do? I didn't do anything. I've embraced a speculation of some sort. And now it's starting to become truth, except Holy Spirit stirs me and says, wait a minute, what are you doing? Where's the truth in that? There is no truth in that. What am I supposed to do with it, Lord? Cast it down. So you do. How do you take them captive? What do you do next? Colossians 3.2. Here's, here's the process of managing your thoughts. If you don't have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you don't have intimacy with the Word of God, it's going to be very difficult to recognize a flaming arrow for what it is. You, you understand that? Yes? Okay. Colossians 3.2. Assuming that you recognize them, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. So, so the, the key is to set your mind. What are you thinking about? Is it poison or is it life? If it's poison, get it out of your mind. How do I get out of my mind? I'll show you in a minute. James 4, 6 through 8. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God. Draw near to God in your thoughts. Set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. Resist the devil. How? Set your mind on things above. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. <laughs> Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Set your mind. Set them to what? Things above. Set them to what? Things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Dwell on these things. Don't dwell on the poison because what happens when you dwell on the poison? You build fortresses in your mind and you start to see the world through poison and not through truth. Anxiousness is not from God. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things. See, he can give you a peace that's beyond our ability to even understand how we can have peace. How do you sleep in the back of the boat when everybody else in the boat thinks they're going to die? You don't dwell on things that aren't true. You have peace. He must have said, hey, Father, you know what? It looks like we might die in this storm. I'm just going to put that one on you. I'm going to have a nap back here. You stop thinking about it. It's funny, but I bet you it's true because it's what the Bible says. He wasn't going to be anxious for it. He just chose not to be. Well, you don't understand my circumstances. It doesn't matter. Everyone has circumstances. Jesus had circumstances. The wind was blowing. The water's coming in the boat. The guys are all freaking out. He's having a nap. Why? Because he wasn't going to be anxious. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, he gave that anxiety to the Lord. You give that anxiety. But what about this? I don't know about that. I can't see past this problem, Lord. I don't know what to do. It's like, it's okay. Thank me. Prayer. supplication is like humble asking, most humble asking. You give it to God. And then what happens is he'll give you peace in your heart because you trust him by faith. Now, all of a sudden, i got to decide what to do with my mind. Paul tells us, dwell on these things. See, that's the way I learned. The Lord taught me. He taught me about this process. Literally, like scripture by scripture by scripture. And I finally like, God, I think I understand. 
but I don't know what that happy place is. It's hard for me to think about what's excellent, what's this. I'm praying this. I'm literally, I'm praying this conversation with the Lord, and I hear the word scripture in my ear. I'm like, wow, scripture's perfect. There is no flaw in scripture. It is truth. So I set about to learn a scripture. I honestly think that you could learn genealogy. You could say, you know, so-and-so beget, such-and-such beget, and it would work. It wouldn't be very interesting, but it would probably work because it's truth. It's scripture. I picked Psalm 23. When I was fighting that dream in my mind for 12 or 13 hours, whatever it was, I mean, constantly I'm seeing pictures in my mind of this vile dream that I had. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me light. What am I doing? I'm submitting my mind to God. I'm resisting the devil. And after 12 hours, guess what happened? He was gone. That's how I learned the process is true. I would have bad thoughts. I mean, I still have bad thoughts, but I don't embrace them anymore. I would have selfish thoughts. I would have prideful thoughts. I would have lustful thoughts. I mean, I could have something set off a thought in my mind that would, I would live through some horrible, you know, in the time it wasn't horrible, but horrible, sinful experience, reliving it, chewing on it in my mind in five seconds like it was five hours. And I learned, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When the battle was tough as I was learning, I would get halfway through Psalm 23, submitting to God and resisting the devil, and I would stop and I'd be like, I know why I started this, but I can't remember what the thought, what was the actual thought I was trying to get out of my head? You know why? Because it wasn't my thought. It was the devil's thought. And he had to flee from me and he took his thought with him. And I felt silly at first until I felt blessed that I understood that this process is working. So what I'm trying to say to you is, you have situations, and the scriptures that I didn't get to today that maybe I'll talk to when I get back are scriptures like, you know, children, honor your parents, and husbands, love your wives like Jesus loved the church. These kind of scriptures, don't let the sun set on your anger. All these relational kind of things that we have to embrace that the devil doesn't want us to have good relationships. So he's going to feed us. Well, what about so-and-so? You know, I think, look at there, right, right there. I think they're talking. They don't like my sermon. I saw that. I'm, I'm looking at you, but I'm not looking at you. I, I, it's like, they don't like my sermon. Lord, what's wrong with those people? I studied. I read the scriptures. I prayed. He's like, you are so in the middle of speculation. Put that thing down. What do you know about what somebody is saying? Look at that person. They're texting while I'm preaching. They have scriptures in their phone. The point is, you have to battle in your mind or relationships will get wrecked. Now, Bible says that you should have peace with all people as much as it depends on you, right? You only own half of the relationship equation. And it also says, why do you focus on the splinter in your neighbor's eye when you're looking through the plank in your own eye? What's he trying to tell us? You can't control somebody else. You could pray for them. You can pray that they'll know the truth and the truth will make them free. You can pray that they'll act on the truth. You can pray God's perfect will into their lives. But you got to deal with the plank in your eye and you got to be the person who is the bringer about of peace because only thing you can control is you. So you have to get a hold of those lies and those poison things that try to get into your mind that cause poison to find its way out of your life so that you're not behaving in righteousness. It's the practicing, it's the doing, it's the, it's the embracing and then the doing of these things. And the time it's going to be tough is when somebody tweaks your flesh, right? And you have to decide how you're going to respond, in truth from Holy Spirit or 
in flesh, which brings about corruption and death. Amen? Amen. Okay.